our Safe Harbor Church. This is Matt Dabbs from Backyard Church. I just want to give a word of encouragement to you this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, if anyone is in Christ, they are new creation. This was a verse that had my attention when I was a teenager. I remember buying a shirt. I was an absolute nerd as a teenager and still am today. Uh, I bought a Bible shirt that had this verse on it. If anyone is in Christ, I believe it was at that point in the, in the 80s or early 90s, he is a new creation, and we understand that's more than just the men, but the ladies as well. So they are new creation. And I remember wearing that shirt. I mean, very interested in that idea that in Christ I am new creation. It was very hopeful. But one of the things that I had no appreciation for at that time, as we grow in knowledge, we grow in our understanding, and we grow in our application of God's Word, I began to understand the context of that verse and that principle and the actual argument that Paul was making. As we read the letters of Paul, he's typically working through a very concise and specific series of argumentation. And it's very tempting with Paul to take out a verse or a phrase and miss the actual discussion that he's having, the actual instruction that he's having. And so there is a lot going on in 2 Corinthians 5 that we need to pay some attention to because it's going to give us a fuller appreciation for what it means to be new creation, what the implications are of us being new creation, and what it means for us in the world to be new creation people within this world. So let's look at a little bit of a broader text and kind of zoom out a little bit from what Paul said here. So if we go back to verse 14, he says this, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, verse 16, so means what I'm about to say is flows out of what I just said. What did he just say? That Christ died for us, so we are no longer able to live just for ourselves, but to live for him. So we no longer regard people from a worldly point of view. Because Christ has changed us, he has died for us, and now we live for him. And since Christ saw us that way and did that for us, it changes the way that we see and do for other people. So you are to no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. Another connecting word here in the middle of verse 16, though, he's continuing this same thought. He says, though we once regarded Christ in this way, what kind of way? From a worldly perspective, we do so no longer. He's saying, we've come a long way, disciples. We've come a long way, Christians. In a former time in our lives, we viewed Christ from a worldly perspective and we viewed others from a worldly perspective, but we are no longer to do that because Jesus died for us, now we live for Him, and that changes the way we see and treat other people, even Jesus Himself. So out of all of that, he says now, in verse 17, therefore, okay? I always sprinted right to, I'm new creation in Christ. But right before that, he says, therefore, based on all that we just covered, that He died for us, 
that changes the way we live because now we live for Him. And because we're living for Him, that changes the way we treat and view others and Christ Himself. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he, she, we, they are new creation. The old has gone. That's the old way of looking at things, the old way of treating people, the worldly way he just said. The old has gone. The new is here. Praise the Lord for that. I'm so glad that we're not where we used to be. We still have a long way to go. And then he says in verse 18, you can't just stop there. He says, all this. Another pronoun that's referring back, the antecedent, is all that he just talked about. That we were once worldly, viewing people and Christ from a worldly perspective. Jesus died for us, so therefore we died to self, and now we live for him. And that changes the way we view and treat other people, including Christ. So we are new creation. And then he says, 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us this ministry of reconciliation. See, aren't we now in the perfect position to mediate between people who are where we used to be, and now that we're in this new place as new creation people where God wants everyone to be, we know how that was, and now we're living in this new existence, and so we're in this perfect mediating position to be reconcilers. He says, all of this, all what God did in you to make you new creation for this very purpose is to reconcile us to himself and then to give us this amazing ministry of reconciliation, 518. And then he says, here's what that is, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, which means not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So, yes, you're new creation. Guess what? That's plural. That means we're a new creation. It's not just an individual thing, just me and the Lord, which is how I took it as a young person. It also doesn't just have in-house implications for the church, saying we are new creations, so we have this together. No, we then become missionaries with a message of this new life in Christ, that He died for us, we die for Him, we now live for Him, and that changes everything. Because our new reality in Christ is that we are new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And now we have the wonderful vocation of passing that reconciliation on to those who are still living worldly. Those who see Christ from a worldly perspective still, we have hope to bring them along in God's reconciling process through God's reconciling message and the mission of Christ to die to reconcile, to die for us to live, for the old to go, the new to come. This is our reality in Christ, and it is wonderful and beautiful, but we have to start looking at Paul's whole arguments, not just little proof texts, not just little little chunks and segments and pieces, but to hear the whole thing that he's saying. And as we do that, we begin to see that he is talking to us, not just me, you individual, but to us. And he is commissioning us in a way that we can absolutely impact the world for eternity. The more and more people who I'm able to disciple and walk alongside and watch them grow, the more and more I'm convinced that Jesus' way is always the best way. 
that to live outside of Jesus is to not live life as it was intended to be lived. We should want this for everyone. But there's a problem. It's sin. He said it there in 1819 that God wants to reconcile the world to himself by not counting people's sins against them. But how does he go about that? It's the ministry of reconciliation that Christ died for all so that we can die to self so that we can live for him. This is what people in the world haven't yet done. We're to lovingly show them and teach them and walk with them and disciple them in this reconciliation so that they too can be new creation and that the kingdom can grow and that God can be glorified. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing that God has done in us. So how do we keep it to ourselves? No, instead, we share it lovingly with others. And I know that's not always a popular thing to do, but people will receive care, tenderness, and compassion and safety, our safe harbor, <laughs> far more readily sometimes than we would ever anticipate. So there's a few lessons we learned from all of this. The first is that Christ has died for us so that we can live for Him. That takes the old away and brings the new to us and we become new creation with a mission and a message and it's reconciliation. Because there are still people back there in the world who need reconciled with God, whose sins are just entangling them and engulfing them and enslaving them. And don't we want to see people free? The only path to freedom is through death die to self, to live for Christ. It's the, the baptismal imagery and reality of Romans 6, to be buried under the waters of baptism, to be raised, to walk in newness of life, to be united in the death of Christ and united in his resurrection. We want to see that for everyone. Another thing that we learn in all of this is that you have to take Paul at his word, which means you have to follow his logic and argumentation to get the full point. If you don't do that, we're just getting snippets and sound bites and, and, and out of context data that we can twist and manipulate and use for purposes that they were never intended to be used for. Like, I'm new creation in Christ. Look at me. This is grand. This is just me and God. No, it's not. No, it's not. Read the chapter. Read the argument. Catch the flow of what Paul's saying. Catch the context and you'll see that it's about us. And it has implications for us to engage and connect and relate and love other people. The Bible is not just a successive list of zinger gotcha quotes to use against people. It's a message of love, hope, and reconciliation that is absolutely beautiful. We're watching lives change. I know you're watching lives change. You're seeing people tune in from the nations. What a grand opportunity to demonstrate through your service and your love and your deeds and your words the absolute loving message of a loving Savior. Thank you, Our Safe Harbor. You're doing good work. Be encouraged. Be of good cheer. Love you very much. God bless. Tune in out from Backyard Church, Auburn, Alabama. Good morning, Our Safe Harbor Church. This is Justin from Revive Community Church. Uh, I really love what Matt shared with us about uh, what it means to be a new creation, that it's not just uh, an individual uh, creation, uh, but it's not just a cooperative creation as far as the church goes, but as, you know, as individually as members of one another, um, that it's kind of a both and and not an either or situation. I really was blessed by that teaching and to 
to expand on that, I just want to share um, some stories from the Old Testament um, and a few uh, uh, attributes that I think are important, a few um, guidelines, if you will, um, that we can keep in mind as we are formed in His image, as we uh, endure the process of sanctification. I just want to share with you just a couple of principles, and then we'll talk about a few Bible stories uh, to back those up. Um, the first one, I think, uh, I guess the best thing to call these would be attitudes. Uh, be attitudes. <laughs> uh, but the first one, the principle or attitude, or what you call it what you will, that I would like to share, um, I think it's important as we um, are formed into the image of Christ that we are able to allow God to change our perspective about who he is, who we are, and where we're going, but also to ask him to show us how he can use uh, our weaknesses. Paul in 2 Corinthians uh, wrote to the church, he was talking about his thorn in the flesh, and I know there has been some uh, some debate on what exactly that means. But in uh, 2 Corinthians, he writes, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that he might depart from me, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength has been made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then he is strong. And so when we think about what God has done for us in making us a new creation, we all have gifts and strengths that the Lord has designed us with. Um, and if we can change our perspective on the fact that he is made strong in our weaknesses, he shows up on our weaknesses. And if God's power is manifest in our weaknesses, then our weaknesses become our greatest strengths. But the gifts and calls of God are not irrevocable, so we, we get to also keep the strengths. And so we no longer have an excuse. Um, and so it's very important for us to see ourselves the way he sees us and not the way that the world or the enemy sees us. I want to share a story um, from uh, the book of Numbers. Now, the people of Israel uh, had come up against um on the mission that God had given them, they'd come up against a uh, a problem. Uh, they were getting closer and closer to the promised land. But in Numbers 13, verses 26, um, we find the Israelites in this situation. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all of the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and it and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. They have many strengths. 
The cities are fortified and very large, and moreover we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Alchemites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once to take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb believed. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we are. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone uh, as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. I want to I put a pin in that thought. The land devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants, in the footnote. Uh, and we are like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Now, that's a very interesting thing that they said that. First of all, they said, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. They saw themselves as grasshoppers, so they weren't concerned with how God saw them, how the Lord saw them, but they were more concerned with how they saw themselves and how they were viewed uh, up against the giants or how they were viewed by the people of the land. Um, now, they refer to themselves as grasshoppers. But here's a little bit of the perspective on how the Lord saw a grasshopper. Uh in Isaiah 40, 22, it reads this way. It says, uh, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. You see, not too long before, the Lord used locusts or grasshoppers um, to bring the mighty Pharaoh to his knees. Numbers 14, the, the story continues and says, So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. Again, forgetting that God used their weakness <laughs> their, um, to overcome Pharaoh. God actually used grasshoppers. Um, why has the Lord brought us to the land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? And so they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us to this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread." <laughs> 
Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared uh, in the tabernacle of meeting before the children of Israel. You see, the children of Israel had quickly forgotten what grasshoppers could do. And so what they believed about themselves had a lot to do and what they believed about what God believed about them, how the Lord saw them, had everything to do with what they believed they were able to do. I think the world is, has its way of hijacking Jesus' stories and, and rewriting them uh, to fit their own script. And very commonly we will hear in the sporting world uh, how when you have a heavy favorite up against an underdog, that the term that will be used in the Bible story they steal from is very obvious. They want to use the David and Goliath analogy. But as the people of God, we know the rest of the story. And while they'll take the heavy favorite and give them the title of Goliath, and they'll take the underdog and give them the title of David, what we know as believers and as new creations in Christ is that they've got it wrong. Because there wasn't a chance in the world that David was going to lose to Goliath. Because of David's faith in God, and David believed ex that he was exactly who God said he was, and that the power of God was going to work through his weakness, it was Goliath versus the Lord. And the Lord is undefeated. Um, and so I wish there was a way that we could convince, uh, at least ourselves, um, that when we think of David and Goliath, that, uh, that David was the Alabama football in the situation, and Goliath was uh, sort of a peewee uh, football team. Now, the power that grasshoppers have is when they get together. Um, if you've seen what, what swarms of locusts and swarms of grasshoppers uh, can do to a nation's crops, uh, they can bring, uh, they are the ones who do. The devouring, and I, and I believe Joshua was able to see that. And so, I hope this is an encouragement to you. Um, and I hope that you we can understand that there's a lot of power uh, in being like grasshoppers, because individually and without the Lord, yes, we are very small and very incapable and very weak. Um, but as but with the power of God and with our faith, and also with our tribe and our community of faith, um, there is absolutely nothing that can stop us. So I hope this was an encouragement to you. Um, I know that uh, just preparing to do it and reading these scriptures is always an encouragement to me as well. So God bless you and have a great week.